don't know, maybe it's coming from a GraphQL server and you just, your program needs AI to know if that number is right. Well, his, his guess was like, maybe it has to do with predictions of scaling and how much we have to do with rolling something out. I was like, well, then I just hit one gas station and an auto scaler and a load balancer. <laughs> It'll figure it out. <laughs> what a DevOps mindset. Exactly, yeah. So. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Do Better Dev Show podcast. It's me, Ganesh, your co-host, alongside Nathan, your other co-host. Hello. Hey, how are you doing, Nathan? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, a little bit sleepy. Days are short right now, but other than that, I'm ready to chat. Chatting sounds great. Are you just not hopped up on pre-workout every evening? No, no. It's It sticks around, around in my system for a good, like, too long. So basically, mm -hmm. it's when I first wake up, and that's about it, and... I had some last week for the first time in a while, and uh, I was seeing sounds. So, wow, yeah, gotta be careful with that. <laughs> wow, that sounds like some Doctor Strange, whatever the world was. Oh yeah, yeah. It's been a hot minute since I watched that. Uh, yeah. I know Dormammu was there, but I don't remember what the <laughs> oh the Dark Dimension. There you go. The Dark Easy. Dim it's all in there somewhere. We're gonna get so much hate. Just, just with that. Because oh, I forgot about Dormammu for a second? Yes. Oh. And we forgot about the dark... Dimension. Dimension. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, the days are shorter, folks. By the time you listen to this, it'll probably be better. But right now, winter in the West Coast is very depressing. And we're all at the mercy of caffeine and vitamin D pills. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did pick up those a couple weeks ago. Got them early before they all sold out. <laughs> wow they're, they're gonna go out of stock too they're the new ps5 yeah well yeah i mean the ps5 is the new ps5 but <laughs> vitamin d is up there too yeah yeah uh all right so today we thought we would talk about certain interview questions and how what how we approach them and what we think is what the interviewer is looking for be both being on sides of as interviewer and interviewees so instead of prescribing you medicine on these are the questions, these are the answers, we don't do that. We don't really should even have authority to do that. So we're just going to tell you what we think and what has worked for us in the past. And yeah, that, that's the value we thought we would provide. How's, how does that sound to you? It sounds super rad. Super rad. Yeah. Wow. You guys are already learning it. When you enter an interview, always say rad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Make, let's them know that you're really uh, up with all the coolness of the day. Yeah, if, especially if like Nathan's interviewing you, if you live on the West Coast and are applying. Actually, though, if somebody, if I asked somebody about something and they said it was super rad, and it actually was, then I'd be pretty, uh, pretty hyped on that. So, wow. bonus points for super and super rad. What if they said they heard it on this podcast right here? Whoa, okay. Then I'd feel some deep-seated imposter syndrome. <laughs> uh, but that's usual. Like, I always have that, so. And then you can just ask yourself, be like, this is a conflict of interest. I obviously love this person, mm -hmm. and I cannot, cannot be in this yeah, room. defer to teammates. Mm, okay. Well, you still get bonus brownie points from me, guys, if you do that. Uh, if somehow I end up being your interviewer at EA, and you mention you came from here, um, yeah, I will just hire you on the spot. Uh, <laughs> there's terms and conditions here. I'm drawing a little star asterisk. Uh, you also have to be good at what you do. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and you might depending on how you do how you perceive these questions and prepare for your interviews there we go start us off nathan oh geez okay so <laughs> i guess one of the first things you're usually asked is you know tell me about yourself and the thing that i always mess up with this is forgetting that it is specific to the role or at least when i don't think i did well i think i mess up that thing which is trying to keep it very specific because i can very easily lead myself down tangents so one of the things that if i were recommending some advice to myself in the future it would be to think about what the exact role is that you are interviewing for and remember the things that you read on the description for that job or that position when you're outlining your background. So something I've done incorrectly, I think before, is give somewhat equal weight to a lot of different things I worked on. Whereas if it's, for example, a very, uh, I don't know, Rails-based uh, company, then spending a bit more time at the year and a half, two years, the guy's actually working with Rails would be worthwhile. Otherwise, that was two jobs ago, and I probably don't need to spend much time mentioning it other than, oh, I maintained a Rails API at that, at that position. Uh, after that, I went to this company and then spend a bit more time talking about the more recent work. And then if I dig anything super relevant there, dive into the exact problems that were solved. And one thing that I think works well with that is being as brief as possible up front and then asking, is there anything you'd like me to describe more or go into the details about? And usually, especially if it's not just an HR screening, they'll actually have follow-up questions that can prevent you from wasting a lot of both of your time. Yeah, yeah, fully agree. Uh, every time I've been on the interviewer and, and have posed that question, it is to lead it more from a conversational point of view because if I, I can see that in your resume you have done a whole bunch of things and I can just read it and perceive information and just pinpoint but then it seems more of a checklist interview and that's not more my vibe so I prefer to see the resume to make sure you are one of the qualified candidates who enters the room but the resume is just there for me to guide conversation with and I would like to yeah, that's the that's my preferred way of hearing and talking about it as well is lay down a few bullet points and ask if there's anything they would like to follow up on as opposed to me just talking about that one great time I had in Hawaii that has made me part of who I am. And then Trevor is just like, but it has nothing to do with ops and your 30 minutes are over. That was a great story, but we can't hire you. Yeah, and there will be some HR screenings that are a bit more about your actual interests and basically just seeing if the team kind of likes you uh, but for the most part, especially if you know you're going into more of a technical interview, then focusing on the work you've done and, again, keeping it brief enough that they can provide prompts on the jumping off points. Uh, one of the things that I've found has worked well when I'm interviewing is if they give me that chance to jump in, having a couple things top of mind from their resume that I think look interesting. So, for example, if they've done a whole bunch of one thing that's unrelated to for example, .NET, and then they just have one job, and it's like, you worked here for six months, and you said it's all .NET, like, what, did you, what was your experience? Why did you leave so soon? If there's something very specific you can ask about, then they can give you a bit more background, they open up a little bit, and it builds on the discussion, uh, as opposed to just sort of leaving it hanging, 
and hoping that they have something interesting to say because they're probably a lot more nervous than you are. Yes. Yeah, that was that was definitely a very important skill uh, that my one of my HR actually taught me about that they are they are more afraid of you than you are of them. And it's just the main job I go into seek as a as the interviewer is to make sure they're comfortable and can connect with me. And now that I've done that as an interviewee, I always sort of just go in with the faith that they also went through similar trainings or experiences. And they're not there to, you know, just, they're not against me. If I'm going there, it's to talk about these things and be comfortable and be how I would with them as a teammate. I just go in with the vision that I've more or less hired and this is the week where they, or the day where I introduce myself. This is my first impression. Totally, yeah. One of the things that I have been able to do as I've gotten more experience with interviewing and just more experience is not trying to predict what will impress them or be impressive in general. It's just the you know so-called best version of myself as the interviewee is just being polite and patient. And as long as I can do those things, just like answer the questions, if they have at least some level of humor, then you can joke around a little bit, be a bit lighthearted about it. Everybody feels better at the end of it. Uh, you'll sweat a lot less, which is nice. And it's just, I've actually had a lot of fun during a lot of my interviews over the last couple of years, just because I realized I didn't have to take them quite so seriously. Uh, so that'd be my two cents on that. Yeah, yeah. And once you're in the team, then you can be all non-polite you are. And then... Exactly. I can just be myself. <laughs> <laughs> We're already high. Right? <laughs> They'll put up with it. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's why we have probationary periods, but yeah. Yeah, do you have anything to add to the initial questions that people ask? Um, well, I mean, I, I guess that's the, the big one, right? The, that's the one you enter with on, tell me about yourself. And then the next one usually is, they ask you about your work experience and like sort of, when, when they say, tell me about yourself and you've given them a highlight of the things you're interested in and they probe you again uh, which has happened to me in the past uh, where it's like okay you didn't have any follow-ups on those specific things I just said but you're clearly looking for more information to jump on a tangent or get more detail uh, so what I usually do then is as you already mentioned is keep in mind what specifications or what specifically this job is for mm -hmm and then highlight from my work experience that I've done those things. Then I would go into a little bit more detail on, okay, this is the stack I set up using these technologies for this job. This was the problem we were trying to solve. This is how I solved it. And this is how well it performed. Um, I mean, if you, when you would look up how to make a good resume, that's one of the things they tell you is problem, how to solve, and numbers. People love numbers. Um, so I try to bring that up in my talks as well, because it's more, it sounds a lot better in person, especially when you're like, oh, I improved the efficiency by 80%. You're like, whoa, that's crazy. As just reading 80%, it's like, okay, that's pretty cool. Because uh, then you can show off all the things you've done and everything. And yeah, basically just reiterate your resume until, and go over the things that are highlighted. If you have full stack experience, but it's a DevOps role, 
maybe talk more about the DevOps things and then you can say while you're ending your sentences or your words is then I've also done a whole bunch of full stack stuff that I enjoyed with these technologies and then maybe let them lead on and ask more in-depth questions. Yeah, so I think what you're kind of highlighting there is the importance of a bit of storytelling and not just bullet pointing. So it's yes. instead of just being straight up with, I worked on React, we had Redux, I worked with Rails, and we had a front end that was built in Angular. You go, all right, well, I was working on this project, we're building this sort of thing, it had this sorts of problems, and then it gets the interviewer a bit more engaged, which is absolutely something that's uh, helpful because if they're really bored, yeah. they're gonna have a more a less positive reflection on how the conversation went when they actually go to uh, touch base with the rest of their team. Yeah, yeah, especially because that's how it starts, right? You lay out bullet points and then they will ask you to elaborate more. Or other way they generally frame that kind of question is what was your favorite project and what was the best thing about it? And that's when you go on this complete story about this is the thing on my resume that I love to highlight and this is why it was great and how I grew and learned from it. Um, every time you tell any story, make sure those are the points you touch on uh, what was the problem. You always need to tell them why, what, what was the value for this and why you did it, how you did it, and don't overshoot. Because um, they'll, they'll know and they'll call you out on it. Uh, try to use I instead of we uh, as much as possible. It doesn't matter how much of a team player you are. They want to know how you did it and not how you did. As a collective team unit, they will ask you about those questions later, but they want to know everything about you. Uh, so don't say I deployed a complete authentication system myself um, if it's not a complete truth that you can back up. Uh, I, I can't tell you how many times I've been questioned in an interview of, you built a complete CI/CD on your own on this platform? And I was like, yes, yes I did. Uh, and then I have to sit down and talk to them about it. And Yeah, and, and somebody has tried to tell me that and then I questioned them on because I've built one. Uh, hint, hint, brag. Uh, but yeah, but that's the thing. Don't overshoot it, use I instead of we. Um, I've been called out on it where I'm like, oh, we built this complete thing. And, and then she was like, did you really? I'm like, well, Nathan built the front end. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this other coworker built the API and such. I connected that and made the database more performant. And that's how we got the complete performance down and up or whatnot. But uh, yeah, use the, use the certain keywords. And finally ended with what you learned from it or what, uh, what, are, what is the value that you got out of it as opposed to what the system got out of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so one thing that I find helps get more out of an interview when I am interviewing or if I am being interviewed is just adding little tiny hints of commentary as I'm going through my work history. So if I mention something like working with AngularJS and say, oh, I try not to bring that up a whole lot because can't say I really want to go back to it, move on to the next thing. Then when something comes up that I really enjoyed working on, mention that I really enjoyed working on it or that it was a lot of, it was a good learning experience or there was a lot of problems there, but I think it was a net positive. Uh, some, if you've worked with a sort of strange technology that someone hasn't likely used, 
and you think they might find it interesting, you can bring that up and say like, oh, that was a, an interesting little side project that I worked on. And just adding those little like sprinkles of personality can make those points not only more memorable for the interviewer, but also when they get to the point of they've gotten through their required things they have to ask you, they can say, all right, so what about that thing that you mentioned? And see if you actually are really interested in that thing you said you were interested in. And obviously if you're not, then don't do it. But if you're excited about something, then mentioning that can be really good because it'll lead to conversation later. And generally I think people tend to do well when they talk about things they're excited about. So if you can mention that you're excited about something, there's a good chance it will come back up and it will give you a chance to shine. Totally. Yeah. Just be genuine about it. Uh, one of the great questions they, if then if you have enough time, the interviewer will ask is tell me about your side projects or personal interests. And that's the, that's the place for this to really shine where you can totally geek out. Yeah. So this is something I wanted to bring up as well. <clears throat> We're going to have a number of questions probably in this conversation that you won't get asked. And they're still good for you to have answers to in case you do get asked and answers to to use as interesting things to bring up in an interview. So for example, if, you're th if you aren't going to get asked in any interview ever, what is an interesting new technology that you're excited about or something like that? Having that in your mind is still useful, even if you're never asked directly, because then you can just throw that in to a conversation and say, oh, I was looking into web workers, or I was looking into this thing, and I thought it was really interesting, or WebAssembly is really interesting to me right now, and I'm looking to get more into that. And it shows that you're a bit curious about things too, and there's a lot of questions like that that show a little bit of whatever they would be looking for if they were asking. And if you can find a way to incorporate a few of these pre-planned answers into other answers, then it, again, just makes you a bit more interesting, which being more interesting and more memorable, as long as you're competent, then the interesting and mem being interesting and memorable is what really helps you stand out. And I, I think a lot of people don't realize that. Yeah, yeah. And half of that is killed by no matter how con confident you are, you will be nervous in an interview. and. Half of that interestingness will get killed mm -hmm. uh, if you are memorizing and just saying robotic answers as opposed to things you genuinely like and are interested in and you can somehow sprinkle that throughout uh, things that you're talking about. Yeah. So what about technical questions? Do you have anything jotted down for Oof. preparation for Not technical? Not really. Or? I have mostly like behavioral questions here. The big one, they always ask you for the question, like the, the technical question, if it's a certain, if it's one of the bigger tech companies is the big, huge O, the biggest of them all. Uh, and you just have to, just have to memorize, learn, learn that concept, really. Uh, I don't think there's really, we can teach you anything here that you can just read off of a blog post in like less than five minutes. Uh, or cracking the coding interview, a great book, go read it. Um, but yeah, the yeah, this podcast is not sponsored by cracking the coding interview. No, just to be clear, I read that book probably seven times and I still didn't crack the coding interview. So <laughs> I, But you know what Big O is? Yeah. My point stands. Yes. Alright. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, of course, it doesn't matter. There's all sorts of other factors. 
company your your likeness with them and such uh, which is not just you are good at what you do and that's not what gets you in because you have to also be interesting and other cards have to be aligned and yeah not get in a disagreement with the interviewer <laughs> i don't know uh that's a that's a great point so what kind i mean obviously don't be a dick uh, uh well oh <laughs> Do we have to like mute it out? Do we have to beep it? No, I don't care. I was saying that's going to be okay. impossible for me. Uh, <laughs> no, not for the interview stage. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, there there is a difference between okay, you're you're underselling yourself. We'll move up, move past that. Uh, <laughs> but yes, but that that's actually a thing. Uh, another one of the questions that I personally really like when they ask is, "Tell me about a time you had a disagreement with." Uh, your coworker or manager, uh, where they're looking at, or even a subordinate, where they want to see how you deal with different shifts of power. I guess if I, for for lack of better words, because you know you don't really have any power over anybody. Um, but that was one of the things, and I have disagreed with interviewers in the past during the interview. Uh, as long as you do it politely and you explain your points. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. If you slam the table and you're like, no, you're wrong, you suck, and walk out, then, you know, that's a different story. Yeah. Can't do much. Now, there's definitely some interview stages or teams that will try to push on you to see if you are really bad, for example, at taking feedback, uh, because that's really important day to day if they have a culture of doing something like code review and they're reviewing some code that you wrote or giving you feedback on your answers. And if you're super defensive and horrible about it, it doesn't matter if you're right, they're not gonna want to work with you. So yeah. I was just thinking of, I was doing an interview at a company and I was trying to finish an answer to one of the coding problems. And he was giving me prompts that were unrelated to the solution I was taking. And I was like, I. I'm trying. I'm just trying to finish my thought before I lose it. And he kept interrupting, and I don't think that helped because I was clearly aggravated by his prompts. Um, but I was like, I know, I know what I'm trying to finish. Let me just finish this before we move on to whatever your prompt is. So. But then that's a great example of a culture you don't want to be a part of, right? Yeah, I am. I do not mind not being there right now. <laughs> Yeah, so that's, that's I guess, the, the mutual fit. If It's not that if they don't hire you, it's you're, you're the problem. It's the, maybe it's not just not a good fit. Maybe mutually that would not have just worked out uh, based on the, the effect you perceived in the interview. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we might have discussed culture fit a little bit in a previous podcast, but one of the things that has definitely stuck out to me recently is that it? there is no one good culture and it doesn't mean that you're gonna fit. So if they're doing a culture fit interview and it's not going well, it might not be your fault. It might just not be a good fit for either of you. And so those things yes. happen and it's important to not take those sorts of things personally, especially if you generally get along with people, for example, and then you're just not really clicking with your interviewers it's probably not your fault. It's probably just the two of you don't click for whatever reason. And maybe that means you have to wait another six or eight months before you can reapply, but you just do that. 
and you reapply and hopefully you get a better draw next time if you still want to work there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or they, by the time you actually start your position, they've just completely hired a whole new bunch of people mm -hmm. and you just get along with all of them. So you're just so personable. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, actually, uh, going back to that question then, um, describe what 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 are what do you think they are looking like what's a good way to answer that when they ask you if you've had disagreements with people above below or same job titles as you are they just seeing if you're if you're if you're just like a yes sir kind of person uh, i'm not sure i understand your question uh i'm i'm just trying to lead you into talking about this question more on what from your perspective how would you answer it oh okay uh, yeah, but yeah, I was trying to do it very unsettling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I still don't know the question though. What's the actual question I'm supposed to answer? Oh, the question yeah. is: describe a situation in which you had a disagreement with a superior or manager, uh, and how you handled it. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I guess what you're trying to answer with something like that is again just showing that you have stood your ground on something. And ideally, you were probably wrong if you're gonna tell this story. That's the best type of story to tell because it shows that you both stood your ground and were able to accept being wrong and understood why, and then you can follow up with what you learned from it. So if you have one of those stories, file it away, remember it, and explain this was the situation, this is why I believed in what I believed, this is how I adapted it, to present it to the person who I was trying to convince. In my particular case, chances are pretty good that I just wrote a doc and then messaged them and said like, this is the thing I'm thinking about. This is why I think we should change what we're doing or, because almost my agreements are probably about process most of the time. And just be like, here's my process proposal for what we should do. And this is why I think it's better. And you know, they'll get back. And if they're like, we're not doing that, then yeah, they're not doing that. And you can either learn from that, uh, which in my case was more so just, all right, I should probably go somewhere where it's more accepted to give suggestions. But if it was more of something that was a proper right or wrong answer, then maybe you're arguing about an implementation detail and you got very defensive and they were telling you that you were wrong and then you realized that they were right and you needed to learn that Sometimes you just need to go read the docs first before you are trying to argue with somebody in a meeting. Yeah, reading the docs is a huge prerequisite to doing better. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Quote that, put it on a wall. Um, but yeah, that's, that's essentially what they're looking for, at least that's what I've perceived in the past, is humility, uh, figuring out, seeing if you actually are humble enough to admit your mistakes. Big H word. And... It's, it's a great, great quality. It's like some companies even have it in their like core values and whatnot. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's, that's what they're looking for. And then another thing they're looking for is if you actually, how you stand your ground basically. So if you just did it because you had a feeling that's probably not gonna come across very well unless you, unless the ending of that story is, I accepted the argument because they had a rational argument. Because at the end of the day, it's a workplace and you're all trying to make things better. And to do better, you need numbers. You need, uh, you need actual 
concrete numbers to stand your ground. And that's when I, I generally, if I, for that story, I generally like to bring up things like, these are the things I was perceiving based on these people that I talked to and I had a general consensus and quote unquote statistics that these people were unhappy. And I went to my manager and told them this and they told me they don't see it that way. Everybody's happy. Um, so I, you know, I just told them they're wrong. And <laughs> because I have all this data from all these people that I've talked to. And it's not just my general feeling. And then they took me more seriously and were able to do something about it. Um, but yeah, but if, if there's a story where you learned something, uh, that's also a great, um, like a great one is generally when they ask you or when they try to lead you in is like, do you, have you made a mistake? Uh, and how did you recover from it? Yeah. What's a time that you so, failed? Can you explain how you failed? Mm-hmm. Uh, what is a difficult problem that you worked with that ended up not working out the way you wanted? What was something that made you think you were heading in the right direction and then you realized your assumptions were wrong? How could you correct? Those are all the sorts of leading questions that you'll be tend, tend to be asked and they all are centered around something that you believed wasn't correct. How did you adjust? And as long as you have a handful yeah. of stories or even just one or two, uh, ready and then you can explain again I really think it matters that you can show some sort of growth out of that story uh, just because they know you for such a short period of time so they don't know if you're normally improving day to day or week to week or month to month but if they only hear three or four stories and in one of those you explain specifically how it changed your perspective on the workplace or something like that it's going to have a large percentage impact on like, oh, I heard three stories and in one of them, they improved dramatically. So that sounds good. Uh, Sorry, it's probably very noisy. (laughs) This was the first time I heard that. Okay, cool. (laughs) Uh, So what about for, again, I'll go back, technical problems. Do you do any preparation Mm -hmm. before interviews for technical problems? Oh, yes. Um, Depending on the place and the role I'm applying for, there's different sets of technical problems or uh, situations I prepare for. For if it's generally more, if it's a bigger company, one of the big ones, uh, I go back to my good old school data structures, algorithms, uh, again, cracking the coding interview, good book, lead code, great site, uh, there's too many resources almost at this point online and you just have to do enough of them. There's the only way to do better is through, oh God, I'm just like quoting things left and right. Uh, yeah, but that's, that's the, that's the path that I've taken in the past. Uh, one of the things that they ask a lot, uh, especially when I apply for ops positions or senior roles is system architecture and design. And I, I love that so much. Uh, I, I nerd out way too much on those questions, so I usually look forward to those quite a bit. And I think they jive more with a more senior or ops sys admin kind of role, uh, as opposed to a full stack developer architecting uh, this giant complex application. Um, so that's been, that's how I generally look forward to what to prepare for. And I bombard my HR with questions every time. They're like, by the way, this is the next technical interview with so-and-so. And I spam them with a million questions of what are they going to ask? What are the things that I need to prepare? Who is this person? 
and I generally go stalk them on LinkedIn to find out what their specialization is. And then I look at what the, their role in company is. And then I try to match what that skill set would be so I could prepare for that uh, to do good in that interview. So data collection is what I'm hearing. Exactly. Without data, nothing can happen. Right. I, I already said it. You need data to do better. Mm-hmm. So that's why they both started the D. Oh. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> so um, don't quote me on that. So I have recently been seriously questioning my decision to spend a lot of time grinding elite code problems because okay. specifically, again, George Hotz was on Lex Freeman recently and they were chatting about this sort of thing. And his perspective was why would you want all that all that those sorts of problems show is that you're willing to grind leak code problems and why would i want to work for a company that values wasting my time by grinding leak code problems and so i was like you know that's actually a really good point like is is that kind of what it's like working there where it's just kind of like grind on boring stuff all the time because if that's what their pipeline's like and it's filtering for those people, it seems like a bad sign. So I'm a little bit unsure about whether I want to keep doing that, but for full transparency, I spent like the first half of 2020, every single day I did at least one leak code problem and it was a substantial improvement, but you get rusty really quick. So picking it up again every couple months the first few days, it's it's rusty because, believe it or not, almost nothing to do with your daily work. So if I had one piece of advice, it'd be, sure, if you want to work at FANG companies that are still doing terrible interviews, you probably need to do it, realistically, but you don't really need to do it otherwise. So try to spend as little time as possible to get whatever you need to get out of that and don't do anything more. Go learn real stuff to do with real work. And unless you love it, if you love it, you can do whatever you want. I don't care. But uh, if you don't love it like me and you enjoy the occasional problem, but not daily problems, then then try not to waste your life on it. That is a great point. Yeah. Depending again, tailor your preparation to the job you're applying for uh, and the company. It, it was a big sticking point for me as well, doing all those algorithms and everything. Uh, one of the great things after my first two screening interviews, at least, uh, the, in the in-person interview, EA didn't ask that many algorithmic nonsense. Mm-hmm. They did have certain questions that they were looking for certain patterns like that, but my interviewers were very easy to talk to and they mostly were focused on my skills of debugging, how I would improve that code and everything, as opposed to, all right, we have 20 minutes, rewrite this binary tree using whatever class method you like, because 100 people have already done it in front of us, and you will be just another pawn who ends up doing that because you grinded on lead code for 20 hours. Um, so that was a really, really well, well interview. Of course, in their in initial screening, the online test assignments that they send you uh, still had that. Uh, sadly, for a DevOps role that had, I 
I may have written maybe like, I don't know, 500 lines of code in the eight months I've been there, oh, which wow. is a very low number if you really think about yeah, it. Yeah, that's not very much. Uh, yeah, it's been mostly configuration files, documentation, architecture diagrams, which is what, as my role in DevOps, I would be expected to do. Uh, so yeah, but similar role in another one of in a company in the Fang scale, um, just made me do so much binary trees that my hatred for them did not go down. Because uh, there's so many smart people, people who are significantly smarter than I am, have written libraries for those, and all I have to do is import Btree, and I'm done. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think those things are really important to understand. But being able to knock them out while somebody watches without the ability to run the code, without any access to the internet, without any ability to write tests for it to find out if you've missed something, and write it on a board, which you don't write code on a board, like all of those things are so irrelevant that, again, if you can minimize your commitment in that, it'll make you a better candidate after you've gotten the job. It just unfortunately might make it harder to get the job in the first place. But understanding things like you know uh, top down versus bottom up caching and recursive algorithms those sorts of things are really important you'll come across them occasionally but unfortunately you will be drinking through the fire hose of coding problems if you're looking at certain large companies and on the flip side oh i don't think i've had any of those questions really from any of the companies i've worked for because they're all startups and they just want you to I've be actually, able to do work as opposed to whether or not you can uh, balance a binary tree. That's true. Yeah, I've had a couple actually medium-sized businesses still they were that were doing like recursion and things like that with me. And one of them made me write a loop in some using a for loop. And then he's like, okay, turn this into a recursive method. And I'm like, is this really the best use of our time? Uh, and I, I tried to say, I said that in the most normal, non-dickish way. Uh -huh. And the interviewer loved it. They're, they're just like, what would you rather talk about? And I was like, I can do this. I can go home and give you a recursive version of this if you want. But right now, while I have you with me, I'd rather talk about these things that are I think are more applicable to the job. What do you think? And they loved it so much, they extended me an offer, but I didn't accept oh. it. But, uh, <laughs> just casual flex don't mind me casual flex yeah but you know the the point being you can bring it up depending on the job of course if i had done that at one of the fang interviews they would have just been like yeah you can leave that's okay we have 20 other people standing in the hallway uh but but yeah like depending on where you are and how comfortable you are in that room um you could switch the direction of the interview yourself uh, depending on how well with them. Yeah, I was asked at one point how many gas stations there are in the United States. And I went... Uh, 42. Yeah, yeah. I was like, um, what? Like, I, so I caveated it with a couple things. It's just like, oh, first of all, I don't even drive. So I have no idea where the gas stations are around me. But here, I'll, and then essentially I just say, okay, here's what my thought process would be. I'll try to extrapolate from the gas stations that I know are near me based on population size and density and then just wild guess on how many that would mean that are in the States. And apparently I was closer than most, but at the end of the question, I was just like, 
what is that about? Like, why would that be useful? And he goes, I don't know. It was on the list. It's like, oh, and so then we just talked about React hooks instead. And because he's like, he was like, in my defense, I usually ask front end questions. They just gave me this sheet. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, do you want to talk about something else? So then we did. And it's, it's important to remember that you are human and they're human and they'd rather just talk about something more interesting. And if you can be more fun to talk to, that's a good thing. Uh, especially if it's related to the job, which it was a lot more related to the job. The React hooks, I should say, were more related to that job than gas stations in the US would have been. You don't know, maybe it's coming from a GraphQL server and you just your program needs AI to know if that number is right. Or well, his, his guess was like, maybe it has to do with predictions of scaling and how much we have to do with rolling something out. I was like, well, then I just hit one gas station and an auto scaler and a load balancer. <laughs> It'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> what a DevOps mindset. Exactly, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, have, have fun with these things, they're good. Uh, but like on similar themes, uh, one of the things I actually really enjoy when they ask, uh, not that kind of questions, but questions under the same theme of uh, when they ask you to explain something, when they are trying to see your thought process and how well you understand something. So instead of how many gas stations, uh, it would be like, okay, tell me what do you think about React hooks and how they work and like how they alter the DOM and things like those. Um, really really well um especially what i like to add as my little flavor is whenever that question gets asked i ask would you like me to explain to you like you're a five-year-old or somebody who's a nerd uh, so that i can gauge if they want to see how simplicity i understand this question or how much in depth i understand these things mm -hmm. generally they go for both because they're amused by that and it leaves a good inter good interview impression uh, but yeah, but then I usually either, because if, if I can't explain it in very simple terms, I don't explain, understand it well enough. There's that famous quote by some famous guy. Is it Einstein? The internet it? says it's Einstein, but who knows? He's, he's apparently said a lot of things in, in English, <laughs> That's too. That's true. Yeah, it's on his Twitter account, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, and Abraham Lincoln said, tweet everything, so... Uh, <laughs> Um, but yeah, that that's a thing I really enjoy. And then, because I, as an interviewer, I've tried to get people to talk about these things in the past where I'm like, okay, explain to me how Docker works or explain to me how these things work. And they just fail to explain to me. And the, when they're coming for intermediate to senior level roles, if you can't fully explain to me a concept at the core level of how it works, you're not going to be able to scale it. You're not going to be able to prevent it from breaking. And I don't think I need you on a senior level role. Oh, yeah, if it's a senior Us. level, definitely. <laughs> I was about to say, yeah. if yeah, if you have chances in your day-to-day -to, -day to provide explanations to people about things, that can be really helpful because they'll ask questions that you couldn't have predicted. And if you don't have that opportunity, one option is to start a YouTube channel and do everything in one take, because then you have to be good at it. And uh, speaking from experience, it helps a lot. It was good preparation for doing the JavaScript talk that I did, and doing that sort of thing, you, couldn't, you could only do a good job if you've spent a lot of time explaining these sorts of things to people, because talking about code is a specific skill. You have to remember to say, 
for example, which side of the assignment operator you're on, you have to remember that it's called the assignment operator because sometimes if you're talking about equals and equality, you'll mumble a little bit because you're like, I think this is the one thing, but you have to actually be specific in your language. And if you can just get comfortable saying a lot of these terms that you would normally think about in your head but not say, then that can help a lot uh, as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's a... Uh, yeah, I'm just thinking of the times when I would try to ask and then they just use the wrong terminology because they just haven't said it. And then I always just ask. I'm just, as the interviewer, it's my moral responsibility to be like, did you mean this? So that I don't... I'm just like, okay, you know what you're talking about as opposed to, oh, you just actually think that's how virtualization works. And then I just... Just like, all right, we're done here. Uh, um, yeah, and that's one of the questions I had. So what do you think about saying, or about admitting that you don't know something? How do you go about that? Ooh, I love it. I, I am a, I'm, I'm huge on team, I don't know. One of my things that I say in an interview when I don't, I usually say, oh, I haven't heard about this one, or I know I read about this one in this context, but this is all I know. If you give me 10 minutes with a laptop and internet, I can get you a lot more information. And you know, that's generally how you do in software development. You're like, oh, I heard about this software testing thing from somebody, you go search for it, you make your pros and cons list, you see, you read the docs, and once you get to a general experience level, you can skim through five different docs of technologies and pick out which was the one good for you. Uh, and yeah, that's what, that's how I approach them. I even, I learned it from a kid in college who didn't know a Linux command and what it did. So he wrote in his answer that I would type on the terminal man and command and get the manual and he got full marks for it. I was like, this is genius. That's exactly, you know, you're not getting points for knowing the answer. You just need to know how to get to the answer. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so very much a pro of I don't know, as opposed to try to bullshit your way through, because those are also the interviews where I just lose my interest immediately when I know, okay, you don't know what you're talking about, you just want to fill this empty air and just leave me alone kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, totally agree. It's, I've interviewed people before where I think, man, if they just had a sec, I don't know on a couple of these questions, I might feel a lot better about this interview, which is counterintuitive, I think, to a lot of people, especially early on. They think, oh, if I admit that I don't know something, it's going to be bad. But it's actually way better yeah. to just say, I don't know what that means, or I'm not familiar with that term. Uh, can you explain what context this is in? Something like that, as opposed to just trying to come up with something that's totally off base because that's uncomfortable and you don't want to listen to it so it just yeah. sticks in your head yeah especially as the interviewee if you're nervous and you feel like they're gonna think you're dumb again they're as an engineer or a programmer your your superpower isn't memorizing a bunch of things it is getting to the answer it is figuring out how to solve these problems so if you can define processes and admit things when you don't know those things, it's just, oh man, it leaves such a good impression where it's like, oh, that guy was humble. They knew. And then you play it, play it humble by Lonely Island and have a good time in the interview. But yeah. <laughs> this is a little bit random, but as a piece of 
trivia that I think you generally should know is if you are working in a particular language a lot, so if it's Python, if it's JavaScript, knowing some of the common questions based on that language are really good if you are early, like if you're going for an entry level or lower level position at first. So that's when you're likely to get questions where they're considering you as, does this person know anything about the language that we're going to have them writing in? And they'll ask you things like, what's the difference between double equals and triple equals in JavaScript? Um, what can, is, how does scoping work in JavaScript? What's the difference between let constant var? These sorts of things, how do closures work? Those are things that you actually do kind of need to just understand and you can't count on a good explanation from Google to be the reason why you like you couldn't get away with saying I'll just Google that and because it's a fundamental thing you need to know these things so those things are important and then some other stuff about OO just tends to come up quite a bit what's the difference between a um, abstract class and an interface been asked that a handful of times and just knowing those general principles are helpful more so than say the specifics of a particular technology like Kubernetes or something like that. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. Uh, especially if you're starting out as the intermediate role. Uh, yeah. Knowing the basics, it's what's going to make you a good developer because uh, you'll sooner or later realize all languages are more or less same. I'm sure that sentence is going to get me into trouble, but the learning curve isn't all that bad once your basics are clear on what you're doing. Uh, and they're gonna test you on that, and they're gonna, they will know if you haven't actually, like, worked with that language. You know. Yeah, my current team actually they asked me. So your main languages are JavaScript and Python. What out of ten would you rate each of those? And I'm pretty sure I put my JavaScript at like an eight because I was a little bit rusty on some of the super weird stuff. And it was like my Python though. I've been writing it for like a year and a half. Probably, I think I said four. It was either three or four, and I think I said four. And uh, they were stoked. They were like, that's a good answer. The last guy we hired, he said an eight, and he was terrible. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so a, a little bit of uh, honesty, especially if the team is generally convinced that you are you know what you're doing, it's, it can be endearing. So you don't have to pretend you're a hotshot at everything and show where your weaknesses are. It helps. Also, they'll ask you about that. What are, one of your weak, what are your weaknesses? And being prepared to answer that in a, a legit way, not just, I just, I like to work too hard. Because uh, uh, <laughs> those are the worst. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I care too much. I, I'm too honest. And they're like, well, that's not a good skin. Like, I don't care what you think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have people who will vouch for me. I am too honest. <laughs> but yes, yeah, it's it's your willingness to know some of the things you don't know and how you would go about uh, learning them or why you haven't learned them yet or something something along those lines. Yeah, my go-to. Whatever is genuine. My go-to for the technical side, whenever it's what are your weaknesses. It's always just operations because I've always worked with an ops team. And so there's, it, at that point, I usually go into explaining where the sort of barrier was between the two teams and saying, this was my responsibility up to this point. This is the stuff we collaborated on. And then anything beyond that was them. 
And so generally it breaks down to if I had to be responsible for managing the uptime and uh, you know, stability of our application, I don't have a lot of experience there. If you just need relatively stable images built and pushed to a repository, like I got you on the dev side. So as long as you can present, actually again, just ending things with more of a positive note, sort of like I said with the showing how something you struggled with turned into a learning opportunity. If you can say my weakness is this and then just sort of end off with because I've spent most of my time doing this sort of thing. It just sounds positive, it feels better, and that tends to be how I try to answer those sorts of questions. Yes, yeah, and not like also when you're explaining that don't diss on something or somebody else, like, oh, I'm not good at Kubernetes because my Lash manager won't let me work with it, that you're just deferring responsibility and that's gonna come across as a negative. Uh, unless it just, it's, even if was that was the real case, um, you know, you could have just learned that in your own time or something. Just coming off across negative does not help your personality or chances uh, in, the, in the interview, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Do you have any more notes? Uh, the final, actually two questions. Uh, if you're also, or I guess a bullet point, um, if you're especially starting out for interviews, um, one of the things that generally gets overlooked at, especially if you're applying for a dev role, is how you test things. Uh, or how you handle when things get broken, like break something breaks your software. Um, and just knowing certain test practices. And if you're starting out, just put in a good habit of learning how do you do unit write unit tests. Um, it's going to help you so much as you grow and scale your software. Uh, we have another talk we've done with this. It will hey. be linked in the description. Uh, go listen to it. It's all about testing. Uh, but yeah, it's just an important point that j usually gets missed. And if you as the interviewee brings it up on while I was learning or doing this on the job, I also did testing. Uh, that's usually generally a good A++ point you get. Yeah, what was the original bullet point before you went off on testing? It was just, it was just about testing, eh? Yeah, it's, it's like when they either ask you on what would you do if your code is broken or what's your testing strategy for writing code. I don't think I've ever been asked that in an interview. Hmm. Maybe I should start bringing it up. <laughs> yeah, uh, we brought it up as part of interviewing for some of the candidates at the last job I had. Hmm. Near the end. It wasn't when I was being hired. Yeah. And then the final thing I had that every company mostly asks is, why do you want to work here? And the answer is not because I need money. It's just, even if that's true, do not say that. It does not come across funny. Yes. So, Gian clearly collects a lot of data on the people he's going to be interviewing with. My big thing, before I'll even respond to a recruiter, is going through and learning a bunch about the company. Uh, one of the nice things about something like LinkedIn is that you can wait, they, they can wait to get a response from you. So you see what they're sending out to you and you can find out a little bit more about the company on your own before saying, ah, this might be interesting, I'll get on a call only to find out it's not what you want at all. So you can look up the company, learn a bunch about it, and that's at that point when I'll start 
doing some filtering and thinking about whether or not it's a company I want to work with. And if things are building up as you're going through the process, it gives you a chance to look for more and more reasons why things might be interesting to you. And if all you have at that point is somebody reached out to me and I looked at their website, you can, be, you can basically explain why you didn't say no at that point. You're saying, I looked at your website, you know, the t it looked like you have a good energy in the product, it looks like you're in a, a good sector that has a lot of growth, uh, something like that. Whatever made you s not just say, no, I'm fine, don't, don't worry about talking to me, those are probably enough to bring up. And if it's later on in the process, hopefully at that point you've had a chance to speak a bit more with HR, speak with the team members. A big thing for me is always how I felt ch chatting with the people in the interviews. So, for example, the current team I'm on, I really just wanted to work there because I had a great time in my interviews. They seemed like smart guys, they asked good questions, and the problems they were solving were generally beneficial to the population as opposed to ad tech. So I was like, you know what, this is good. I would like to work at this company, and I'd like to basically I'd like to work with these people. So if they asked me why I wanted to work there, that would have been the reason. If you're super into doing something like game development, maybe that's why you want to work at a company like EA. It just doesn't really matter if it's EA, it, don't matter if, it wouldn't matter if it's another company, you're just going, I actually just really want to get into game development and I have a chance to talk to you guys, so that's why I'm here. And you can always say, I'm hoping to learn more about X, X, and Y, and that hopefully will mean that you get a chance during the interview process to learn more about those things. And, give you an, an yeah. honest perspective on whether or not it is a good company for you. Totally, yeah. Uh, I don't know, at the end of it, it sounded like you also just collect data and then talk to them about it. Yeah, my point was <laughs> my point was that you're, you learn about interviewers and I was just saying similarly, I start by gathering I, data about companies because data is how you do better. That data is how you do better. Yeah, it's been a tagline of this, of this whole podcast. Uh, Data-driven yeah. doing bettering. Data-driven. Oh, no, don't make it a button. <laughs> <laughs> the do-better hosting service. I don't know. Uh, but, but yeah, and then if you're, uh, if you're starting out as an interview, like a junior person who's trying to apply, um, just every time I did that on my cover letters, that the ones that stood out to recruiters were the ones where I would go first scout and, like, go over the company's website, see the things I love. And then I would look, write a little blurb in my cover letter of these are the things that I really liked that I think would go really well with my skill set and personality. And they love that. They want people to be interested. And if you do your research beforehand, you're already a little ahead of the curve. Yeah, my the first job I finally got after sending out a couple hundred resumes was from a company where I finally went, you know what, they look like they're having fun. One of their things was that they mentioned was having a foosball table. And so my opening paragraph, where I usually have three points that are just like, I, I have this experience, I'm look, looking to do this sort of thing, and then something else. It was like, serious point, serious point, and I like in, I'd like to improve my foosball or something like that. And it was just, it was very directed at them and they could tell and they appreciated it. So it definitely does benefit you to have at least some level of uh, specificity. And if it happens to be fun, it stands out all that much more. Yeah. 
those are all the points I had. Um, so I was waiting to the end because mine is the question that's always last, which is, do you have any questions for us? And what questions you typically prepare for them? So do you have any off the top of your head? Uh, the very first one I ask is, what does this role look like in right now for people who are performing it? If nobody is, what is the vision for this role? And, like, what can I expect to basically learn in one week, one month, and one year? Uh, and I sort of, then I know they have a vision for this role and it's not just to fill in a seat and cause I don't want to go someplace where I'm not actually needed. Uh, and another one is they think you're interested in really knowing about how this job works and roles. So that mutual interest, um, sparks, sparks joy. Nice. Good. I appreciate that. Uh, one of my big ones that I've been doing a lot recently is when someone left your leaves your company what's the most common reason that they would and i've asked both hr and devs and i'll usually specify it so if i'm talking to hr i'll say something like you know generally why would somebody why might somebody want to leave the company whereas if i'm speaking to a dev i'll say from a dev's perspective why do devs typically leave the, the company and i get some good answers from there and generally people don't expect it i don't think it's a typically a common or a question they get asked all that typically. So uh, it's fun. I've had some really good answers from it. Uh, one person gave me like a three part answer. He was like, if it's because of this, they're doing this. If it's because of this, they do this. If it's because of this, they were just burnt out. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, and then other companies will just sort of make up something that you can kind of tell doesn't sound that legit. And teaches you something at least about how they feel about the people who leave. Um, so that's been good. Another one, well, actually, I guess most of them are, other than that are pretty specific to the role. It's usually based on if there's anything unsure about about their benefits, because uh, usually they're a little bit brief in the description on their websites and, and whatnot. So if I haven't learned by that point what their, the details of some of them are, I'll ask that. Um, what their approach is to outside of work hours, learning things like that, like that, which is something I really care about. And yeah, I guess just the, the things that are specific to the job. So the one big one that I had off the top of my head though was that, why do people leave? Um, yeah. I was asking for a little bit what the trajectory was for the company, but I've been pretty confident in my last few interviews that like I wasn't interviewing with companies that were going to suddenly tank. So <laughs> I wasn't too worried about that, uh, yeah. but it was a concern interviewing in ad tech. So yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's a, uh, yeah, especially when you're interviewing with startups and mid-sized companies, it's like, okay, yeah. this is going to be here by the time my RSP contribution is going to come in. Yeah. Do I, um, well, I make it through the three month probationary period. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, actually, one of the ones that popped in my head while you were mentioning um, why people leave uh, was, has now skipped my mind now. Oh. Damn, by the time I said that sentence. Well, took took too long to get to the end. I, uh, <laughs> I did. Uh, <laughs> but um, I'll just go on to the, the other questions that I generally ask. Um, one of the things that's really important to me is like 
because I've seen a lot of good developers burn out and leave. Uh, I've also seen just coworkers not being in a happy working environment due to just not bonding. And it's very important to me. I almost take it personally when it's like my team's not happy with each other. I'm just like, nah, this can't happen. We are all friends here. Uh, so I, one of the things I ask during interviews and such is what kind of team events the team hosts, how good does the team work together, and what does the mentorship policy looks like? Because one of the best ways you can men- like bond together is if you all learn together and grow together. Um, so those are, those are generally the ones that gives me a good idea on how isolated this team is versus how team of a team it is. Right. Yeah. Well, I can confirm having worked with you that that was important. <laughs> <laughs> so you've managed to bring that culture with you at least to the one place that I've seen it. <laughs> yeah, in this, in this next place that I am, I am dragging people for like calls and just talking to them about their interests. And it's kind of depressing talking to like a Zoom blank out call with like their name. But I don't want to force them to turn on their video and whatnot, so I'm just going to have to wait till the office reopens. But by the time their office reopens, I won't be some stranger who was hired uh, while everybody was home. I will be some guy who harassed them on video calls a hundred times. That's true, and they'll be putting a face to a name, sort of. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And then I'll see their face and I'm like, cool, you look so much better than just a box with nothing in it. That's very nice of you to say. <laughs> All right, so yeah. did you do anything last week that you did better than the week before? Yeah, my so the last week's thing that I wanted to do better on was take some time for myself mm-hmm. uh, and play lots of video games. So I played a little bit of video game, but I did spend a lot of time with like friends uh, and people. And by friends, I mean like three other people. Uh, so that was still good. Um, and there, it was one of the festivals that I celebrated back home, so that was also fun to do. And I just called called one of my friends in India and caught up to them. And that gave me the goal for this week. Uh, the thing I'm going to be trying to do better on this week is be a better friend. Wow. So I'm going to hit people up who I haven't in a while and send random affectionate messages to my friends telling them I love them and that they haven't forgotten them. That's very nice. You're such a better person than I am. Uh, (laughs) I was trying to do better. Yeah, so my focus last week was largely around reading that book. So I read another 100 pages or so, which sounds sounds more impressive than it was uh, because it was just mostly like the history of computer organization and structure. So I was reading a lot of that. But now I'm in chapter three, which is the stuff I was really interested in, which is all about the actual construction of logic gates and Boolean algebra. So learning about that has really slowed things down because I'm actually trying to understand what's going on as opposed to memorizing stuff that I know I don't actually need to memorize. So I... You know, I wasn't waiting to commit to memory 8851 and all these different model numbers. It's like, I don't particularly care. It's just nice to see the progression and kind of know what things mean. Whereas now it's like, no, I actually want to really understand what they mean when they're like, 
Nor and NAND gates are complete, and you can build an entire system out of those. I was like, oh, okay, but you yeah. can't do it with AND gates. I want to understand why. Uh, and so that's slowed things down. So I won't have another big progression in page numbers uh, between now and next week, but I think it'll be a more meaningful uh, series of pages. Yeah, I mean, if it makes you feel any better, it's not a book you skim through, like, or you can just, it's not an easy read. It's just textbook, be yeah. Practically. <laughs> Yeah, it's a textbook, and it's a textbook for a second-year college course for computer science, mm. and we only skimmed through, like, maybe half of it in one semester. Mm. So, don't feel bad. <laughs> 100 pages is, like, God, that's, like, three weeks' worth of assignment, so yeah. you're doing great. Yeah. <laughs> it was good. It's, it's been nice. I don't really read normally, so this has been a nice thing, especially with all the rain we've been having lately. Just been hanging out inside, reading. Because I haven't been able to longboard. Because I don't really want to longboard in the rain. Not particularly safe. Not particularly good for the board. So uh, I guess for the next week, I'll just continue on with this Chapter 3 stuff and keep messing with logic gates. I don't have anything wholesome like you did for my doing better. Uh, you know, what? I'm just trying to better better my personal things. I've been doing okay at, like, I don't know, relationships things, I guess. Yeah. That's good. I haven't thought about other people in a little while, and oh. I'm just trying to just do better. That's that. good. Yeah. I yeah, approve yeah. of that. But I guess, <laughs> I guess that is it for this week. Yeah. Thank you, everybody, for who listened to us rant about these things. If you have any feedback for us, please reach out to us on any of the social media or YouTube comments. Um, if you want more videos or experience seeing a guy sitting in front of a screen typing out code, it's youtube.com slash nwcalvang. Go tell your friends about it. Um, yeah, and we'll, we'll see you guys in the next episode. Thanks for stopping by. Yeah, nice.